Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Public Discourse. My name is Sancho Sinta, I'm your co-host. Today again with Ricardo Chavez, my other co-host. So today we're going to talk about economics and we have a very special guest, a fellow Filipino, myself, Isabel. She grew up in the Philippines and uh, she's also a third year PhD agricultural and resource economics student at the University of Maryland's College Park. Her research focuses on the intersection of development and environmental economics. But her experiences span from monetary policy, transportation, and food. So let us uh, welcome everyone. Uh, for all our listeners, let me introduce Ms. Isabella Agnes. Here we go. Thank you, Sancho, for that amazing introduction on me. Um, I guess uh, at the side of those uh, credential stuff, um, I'm a new cat owner. From zero cats in my life to three cats. So I think that's like a reasonable jump to make. And, you know, I'm just loving life right now with all my kittens. Um, yeah, and I'm excited about this conversation to have this public discourse with you and Ricardo. Good. We are looking forward to talking with you as well. Uh, before we start anything, I just want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, I'm pretty excited for what we have to talk about. But before we talk about anything, uh, I do want to, I have one question that I'm sure our listeners want to know. And what does the intersection between development and environment economics mean? If you can sure. kind of elaborate yeah. on, you know, what you've been studying for your PhD. Yeah, like my PhD title and also like my research is quite a mouthful and also confusing. So development economics, I'll, I'll break it down first. So if development economics looks at um, why people are poor um, and understanding how to develop um, developing countries. Um, so we look at that, trying to increase um, uh, like social mobility from poor to like in the middle class, how to educate people. So that's the questions in development econ- economics. And in environmental economics, we look at how climate change affects societies, how um, how um, carbon emissions could affect anything basically in, in our lives and our usage in certain like industries and how that affects the environment um, or waste management, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, or like usage of resources, natural resource deforestation, uh, water uses, those kinds of things. And the intersection between um, development and environment is to look at how climate change affects the poor. Um, so the major contributors of climate change are rich countries or people who, yeah, like are more well off because when we consume, like, like for example, the internet itself that consumes a lot of energy, us buying clothes, that takes a lot of energy, that takes a lot of resources, that actually, like, has a huge carbon footprint. But the other hand, though, like, sure, rich people like us, uh, well, like, I guess in this, in this terminology, um, contribute the most in climate change, but the people who are affected by climate change the most, who are more vulnerable to those changes, are the poor. Like, for example, poor are more likely to be in the agricultural industry and with 
climate change, you know, drought or, you know, severe um, monsoons or, or they're fishermen, like natural disasters can directly affect them in their livelihoods. Um, maybe they live, they're more likely to live in natural disaster prone areas, so they would lose their livelihood. So, the, so I want to understand how climate change affects the poor and how we can, um, how we can make sure that, you know, everybody's resilient from climate change. We can't really go back anymore in terms of like, a normal earth like we have to just now adapt from the climate change that we are now having and just make people more resilient to those effects if, if that makes sense i know it's like kind of thing along yeah i'm, I'm following sense. you i'm 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 pretty sure i'm following are you were you able to follow that sancho yeah yeah okay it made me feel Perfect. sad though it made me feel I sad know. too. I, yeah, Economics makes... is a dismal um, course. Social science—that's what they say. It's a dismal mm-hmm. science. So I, so I'm curious. What? How do I ask this? Uh, I guess what have you, what have you found in your research? So, so I'm wondering, how have, so what countries have you seen most affected by climate change, and in what way? If that's a, I don't even know if that's an easy question to answer, but I'm I'm really curious as to what you've come across in in your uh, in your research. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I feel like every every country in the world ex- experienced climate change right. in a negative way. Um, but since I'm Filipino, like <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of research in the Philippines mm-hmm. and. Yes, they're like one of the most climate, like they're they're one of the most prone to climate change because of the nature of like their geography. They're an archipelago, so they're like what happens in the sea happens to uh, like affects the land. So mm-hmm. we have typhoons every year. Um, people get displaced by typhoons every year. Meaning, um, they they have to be evacuated to go to a shelter because of typhoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also ex- see we are also a developing country, like in the middle of developing and develop. Um, and so we have a lot of like we we used a lot of our resources. Um, so we have deforestation. So just think about like typhoons. Because of typhoons, there's a lot of like water and erosions, and there's not much forest to like cover that. So we have a lot of like landslides. So mm. we see that as being affected. Um, because of that, like you know, like um, because of overfishing in the population, like we don't really have that much of like you know good ecosystem anymore. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, so in in terms of my research in um of this. I can, I, can I ask a real quick question? Yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully it's a quick one. Have you, in your time that you've been doing your research, have you been able to track that, like like you said, like typhoons and subsequently uh, uh, landslides, have you been able to track that those have gotten worse, like or at least much worse? Oh, yes. Uh, can, you talk, worse. can you talk about by how much? I don't know by how much, but I know there is, like, the natural disasters are getting more serious. They're getting more um, severe by the year. 
Yes, they're getting more severe by the year. Gotcha. Um, yes, um, so the Philippine government already, um, enacted like ways to prevent such um, uh, like mortalities and just preventing a lot of those kind of casualties. There you go. Um, by having proper um, information and notification to prepare for such um disaster like for such like typhoons um uh, for that like people who are able to evacuate evacuate sooner so they don't get have they don't have to to be exposed to that um but even that we they are still faced with increasing severity in natural disasters yeah gotcha okay mm -hmm. wow I mean that is that is pretty crazy. I mean it is. I mean <laughs> I didn't expect this podcast to be so doom and gloom, but that is the world we're living in, right? I mean everything that Isabel is saying, I know, you know, as a Filipino, it's, there's landslides everywhere, and like, you know, I mean not even the Philippines. Just think about their latest hurricane that hit uh, New Orleans, like Louisiana, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and yeah. there's another hurricane coming up, like right now. Like weren't they just hit by a big one? There's another big one coming up. Yeah, yeah. like. Yeah, there's about one, another one coming up right now, so it's it's just crazy. So maybe my question for you, Sabel, uh, mm -hmm. maybe you can chime in to Ricardo. I mean, when I was, I mean, let me bring a little bit of my expertise as an accountant, you know, business guy. When I was in college and university, we were learning about the socio-economic approach of business and economic approach of business, where socio-economic is basically like saying, yeah, we care about climate change, helping, you know, like helping the homeless, all that stuff. Where the economics is more like, yeah, we're just going to maximize our shareholders' value. We don't care about any of that. Mm -hmm. So do you think if, uh, you guys think if, let's say, Amazon or Google or big companies, every company in the world decided to do socioeconomic approach, do you think we can still solve this climate change problem? Or is this like inevitable? We're all just, just going to die. And My understanding. Yeah. Oh. Honestly, I'll, let the, I'll let the expert talk. No, Ricardo, please. I was okay. going to say, my understanding has been that we are at a point where we can't reverse anything. I think we can slow down the 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 effects, but I don't know when we cross the line, but we have officially gotten to a point where uh, whatever climate change is really going to uh, really affect us, we're, we're going to get hit by it. So. Yes. But so, yeah. maybe follow I up would. with that. So it's because... Is because if you look at history, and I'm a history buff, I love history, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like so much climate changes in the history of the world. There's like ice age and all that stuff, you know? So is this mm -hmm. something that is just inevitable? It's going to happen eventually with or without carbon emissions or, you know what I mean? Like whatever we do, mm -hmm. it's just like climate is just, it's just another, mm -hmm. I guess, the first ice age, right? We have the ice age before, now we have this burning hell and earth. So you're essentially asking, yeah. are we just in a cycle? Yeah, like is this just happening like, you know, like, it, I mean, it was, un, you know, I mean, it's, it's just unpreventable in the first place. This is just how the the earth works, right? Mm -hmm. is, is that what's happening here? Uh, so, what I think as well. uh, so you bring up a good point. Yes, it is natural for the earth to have climate change. Mm -hmm. um, we see, you know, I, multiple ice age, um, you know, glaciers freezing, then melting. So that is completely like that natural we've seen that in history before but what is happening right now is that it's happening in an exponential like 
exponential rate. And it's a tribute to um, us, basically, emitting so much carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is undeniable. Like, yes, climate change is natural, but at the rate that it's happening right now, that's not natural. That That's us contributing to it. And the thing is, change is inevitable, but how fast it is and how fast we can adapt to it in terms of like surviving, like that is the question that we have to look at. And the, you know, extinction, extinctions in species, again, those are natural, but there's so many, like the amount of species getting extinct in our time of us like like after after the industrial age it's so much more than when it wasn't like that before so yeah so it is our like we definitely contribute i mean we are a huge part of what is happening right now and i think that we have to take in consideration that or else we're not like like we like we have to like do something about it basically I mean, you you mentioned the industrial age. So in my thinking, is this like our since the industrial revolution, right? Like this is just this lifestyle, this technology, all of this that we have is just we're kind of just loaning it from the earth because a lot of it is through mining, right? And a lot of yes. it eventually, you know, we're emitting carbon every time we drive a car, like yes. that, that. And so I guess the other solution is just not to have a car, just have horses or wa- walking, right? But we we can fl- literally fly right now from here to like China and it's possible. Exactly. But we're yeah. committing so much carbon in the meantime. So mm-hmm. I mean the way I see it, looking at the big picture, so it's it's kind of like crazy how like all these amazing technologies and conveniences that we have is we're living on borrowed time with it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Also the big. I one. think ever since we're. Uh, no you're fine uh i'll just say i think the big one or the big kind of thing i want to add too is um because it's not it's not even as as much as like vehicles methane's a huge thing um and what Mm -hmm. they say the source of that is cow farts and the fact Mm -hmm. that we fatten up cows so that we're able to produce enough meat to feed like the usa for goodness sake and how much Mm -hmm. we consume um so things like that so so like it's it's not so simple where like, you know, we depend on this to eat. So mm-hmm. now we're saying, now we're talking about a completely radical change in our in our diet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a tough one where it's not as simple as should we can we get rid of stuff? It's so embedded in our lives now that we're at a point where we can't. That's why that's why you can also say it's irreversible. Because what do we do? How do we switch yes. up our food supplies? How do we convince every American to adopt a vegetarian diet and then how do we Mm -hmm. from a logistical standpoint even support that and then what are going to be the environmental implications of having a all vegan america you know what i mean like so Mm -hmm. it's it's this is a tough i mean you're right this has become doom and gloom (laughs) (laughs) because it's a it's a really it's a really tough question because it's uh you know we're asking for a lot you know yes and add to the doom and gloom things but um you know as you know over the years like our population is increasing but also people are getting richer the richer are 
actually you're meant to have um we're seeing in Africa there's an increase of um consumption in meat um because you know they're getting richer there too so just imagine like the amount of people who we have right now consuming meat is getting it's increasing because of population and also people having money to eat meat too so that's another like positive feedback loop on like increasing demands of beef increasing methane emissions so yeah <laughs> we're screwed so <laughs> we're not screwed don't worry um so another like thing like in a part light um Malthus described I forgot like the, so he was like he said something about like uh, when the population the human population comes to a point where it like the, at its carrying capacity where we like you know maybe overpopulated once we reach there would either be disease or warfare to control that population since we are like there's not really we don't really have predators like we don't like the thing that we would limit us are is disease and um, warfare and we're uh, 1600s. He was saying that oh, we're here. Societies of population possibly go more than this amount of people, or, or like you know, we're just gonna there's there's gonna be a disease. But see, you know that we see this, and we were able to meet uh, like you know meet the demands of so many people. That is like 10 times as much that Malthus has thought. So the positive light of this is that um, we are innovators. That's how we survived this ne- this much years. Mm-hmm. So there will be innovations that would help us survive climate change um, and hopefully slow down climate change. So there are positive changes going on. Um, so... That's like a happy light. Yay, happy light. <laughs> and we're so like in terms of the agriculture, like agriculture economists and the courses that I've taken about my interest in this subject, I'm like interested in them. Is that like how can we make food industries? sustainable and in my mind what sustainable meant this is like just my perspective and me trying to be like this environmental activist kind of person in my mind like oh sustainable means you know like grass-fed cows and mm-hmm. organic vegetables and you know vegetables in the garden for everyone but the thing is that's not like the sustainable has a different terms in agriculture economics, sustainable means that it is like this method is able to feed the growing population across the world and also is adaptive, resilient, or adaptive from the climate change that is happening now. And that means, you know, GMOs, this techno, like we need technology to help us adapt. And that's not really grass fed cows or um organic or organic vegetable garden at rice out, outside the backyard because if anyone tried to grow garden or have a garden it actually takes a lot of like knowledge and skills to do so so it does need 
like skills of farmers, large scale farmers, mm-hmm. large scale farmers that knows technology and methods that can survive clashing um, um, to help grow food and also provide food for all of the population. Why did I say that again? I forgot. Sorry. Where were we? Like, I lost my train of thought. Well, you were, <laughs> well, you definitely gave us a, a, a ton of information. What? Do you figure out your place? I remember now. All right. I remember now. Get right back I to it. I remember now. <laughs> so, the thing is, we are, yes, we are, in, um, we have this, okay, let's talk, just talk about cows, for example, okay? This um, amount, same amount of cows can feed more people than it was decades ago, okay? So same amount of cows, same amount of methane, but it feeds more people. So we're be- okay. becoming more efficient in the production of food. That's where so that's another thing to consider is like okay so yes we're emitting the same amount of methane for example but that amount of methane feeds more people mm-hmm. so it really is like how you look at the numbers so and if you look at that efficiency term um we actually see that we're actually getting better at great making food with less methane, if that makes sense. With less waste. So we're, yeah, so less we're, waste. Okay, so we are becoming more efficient at farming animals yes. and all that. Okay. Yes, but again, there's still a lot of methane that we're like emitting. We're yeah. So uh, yes. what is the bottom line with that? The science behind that, I guess, if you know, Isabel, like how does how does a met uh, a cow's fart make the Philippines sink with typhoon? You know, I mean, like, so, how does it, how does how does that? That's a hell of a question. Oh, so, greenhouse has, so a car, cow's fart has methane or something else. There's it's a gas. Methane. Let's talk about methane. Methane is a greenhouse gas. That so greenhouse. What happened is that you know how greenhouse is like a clear, like it's just glass. It's like enclosed glass where the sun can come in, but it's hard for the sun's heat to come out. So that's what happened. That's a greenhouse effect. The sun comes into the Earth's atmosphere, warms up, warms up the the Earth, provides light and all those things. And the greenhouse gases like methane, carbon, and those kinds of things keeps that heat there. So by increasing that, you know, global temperature, um, it affects um, weather patterns, climate patterns. Um, Sea level rises and those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. So then that's how it affects the Philippines. And like, you know, for example, the, the cow farms in the United States contributes to the droughts in Africa or, or, you know, like really bad monsoons in Bangladesh where they barely eat cows compared to the United States. So that's like, you know, the dilemma that we have now. I guess the the, the point is we should not fart, right? We should yeah, just, just, hold just, it just keep it in. Just keep it just in. Doctor, <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear something even darker? What is it? Already there. Um, as a result of climate change, I don't know I don't know that there's fault at all. 
but as a result of climate change, I think I think they're in like Alaska um, or Antarctica. One of the I think they're in Antarctica. Uh, but like there are how do, how do they say it? There are like diseases trapped in the ice, diseases and animals that we haven't discovered yet, right? Because we just can't yeah, get and that there's deep. There's also methane. In, I think it is methane pockets. And there are methane pockets in the ice as well. Yeah, is it methane? Yeah. I'm not. Yes. I, I didn't hear about the methane. I heard about the diseases. So once like the ice melts, those diseases will get released, and the chances that we have the uh, the antibodies to fight them are, are are next to nil because those diseases have been trapped there for so long. The cool thing is we'll be able to find more proof of dinosaurs and cool shit like that. But the big oil. thing is uh, the, the possible diseases could come out um, yeah. as a result of that. Yeah, but Captain America's gonna be there, right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe a bunch of American super soldiers pop out of the ice. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna punch climate change. Oh, they're gonna punch out aliens. climate change. There's gonna be aliens, just, you know. Well, uh, if it's okay, I can move on to a, di- a different topic because it's too doom and gloom. So let's talk about something more, I guess, more pleasant, right? All so right. Let's talk about co- can I talk about COVID nineteen for a second? So. <laughs> so was. Exactly. One of the questions, it is one thing that me and Ricardo have been discussing, and we want to ask you this, Isabel, being the you know economics expert and everything. So, and I've been wondering about this too, right? So, especially this, this more particular in the United States, because I think other countries don't really do it. They don't have the funds anyway, and we just I think we just keep printing money. Since it's like it's kind of unfair, right? So it's a mm-hmm. it's the um, the world currency is like U.S. dollar, and we just keep printing it in a way. It's kind of messed up, but I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, though, maybe that's my big question. So maybe my first one is like, and we've seen it, I think, right? It's happening with all the COVID relief, you know, all the stimulus funds. They're just pumping all this cash into the to the money supply, and it costs. It definitely costs inflation, right? So mm-hmm. is this good that we're helping them? Saying like, oh, it's good to help them, but it's now it's like. It's causing inflation. And the second one with this, what's going on with here? Are they just printing money? Like, is that even legal? Like, how, what, what is, you know what I mean? Like, is it affecting the national debt? Like, I thought mm-hmm. we don't have money. How How did we able to cut checks of trillions of dollars? Yeah. yeah, like, is, is that like because the U.S. can just keep printing money? It's like, like, what is the economics behind all of these things? Okay, so we don't necessarily print money. Um. Yeah, we don't print money like that. Um, What happens is that the Federal Reserve, the central bank, controls the amount of dollars in the economy. So that means that either they they have the power, well, not not really power. They so one of the more instruments that they use is that they um, set the interest rate. The interest rate, um, in terms of inter uh, everyday analogy, is like if the interest rate is high for our banks, if we put money there, if we save money, uh, then the high interest rate means that you gain more money by just keeping your money in the bank. And it's similar to um, when the Federal Reserve um sets an interest rate if they have a high interest rate it encourages banks to save that money if it's a low interest rate then they encourage the banks to not keep it in 
in the safe and invested in other people or invest in other firms. So there's more money flowing in the economy. So it's not really printing, but rather how much it's like a dam, like a water dam, like you can control how much money going out in the system. Now, we are definitely in a weird pickle in terms of the pandemic. And also since after the Great Recession in in the 2000s, what happened is that during that time of the Great Recession, they bought so much, um, so the Federal Reserve bought so much, um, I forgot what it's called. They bought so much like bank notes and something uh, like that. Bonds. To, bonds, sorry, sorry yeah, bonds. bonds. So when they buy bonds, the money, they're buying it from banks, okay? So the banks will have so much money. By doing that, they drive the, in, and they also drive the interest rate to zero. So for the course of like 10 years in this decade, we all we had interest rates so low that it's like, you know, 0%. And you wonder like, okay, if our interest rate is zero, how can you, like, if we get into the next recession, like what happened in the COVID, you know, COVID season, like where, how can the federal reserve try to off from that from that recession from that slump and what they did during the uh, pandemic is that they also bought a lot of stock and that's kind of volatile and like that's a volatile stock like the stocks are more volatile than banks but that's a way that, to have money going to make sure that the the stocks eh, that we don't go into a deeper recession um so knowing that that we we're still like at a very low interest rate in a very, like, since it is, we are in a very low interest rate in terms of the Federal Reserve, they don't, they have, like, limited instruments to, they still have their instruments on, like, help you control the money supply. Um, so now, like, what we saw is that there's, like, the in the fiscal side, that they're giving more money to uh, unemployed people. They're giving stimulus package for, um, for you know, other the rest of the people, I guess. And we see that like the most recent like stimulus plan that Biden revealed, like just gave like a shit ton of money for it. If it's okay to like uh, <laughs> swear. Like, like a lot of money, basically in many like different like governments, um, at, um, institutions, programs, and all those things. Um, so why did they do that, and why would they risk that for inflation? So the thing about economics is is that everything is all about expectations. If the people get scared about the economy like crashing down like you know like everybody can be worried about that if they worry about that then everybody will start selling their stocks everybody's going to pull out their money from the bank and that's like the worst thing that you you want to happen in an economy when people believe that, that the economy would just fail and that's one thing we don't want and i believe that's the reason why that 
by um like enacted that stimulus plan. And yes, among other things, the stimulus plan kind of um kind of influence the increase of inflation rate. Among other things, it's not just this in terms of like just how like COVID just increased the price for everything as well. Um, and the oil prices too, all those things kind of like influence inflation rate. Now, in terms of inflation rate, inflation rate is at five, six percent, right? And so compared to the last inflation rate during the uh, inflation during the 1970s in the United States, which goes around like 14 to 20 percent, I believe. Um, so right now it's not in a very bad case. And in terms of like um, considering the, you know, the two evils that we have, like, you know, like COVID and affecting society and, you know, unemployment rate and all those things over inflation rate, we want like to help. And like, I guess like that, it, I, I personally would go on the side of like, I would take inflation over um, seeing people die, seeing people starve during a pandemic. Yeah. And in the, like, it, like another trick about inflation, and it is not really taught in um, schools because it's kind of like, it, it's, it's very complicated. People be like, oh, inflation means there's a lot of money in the in the economy and that's why there's inflation and everything goes bad but the re- uh, inflation gets bad if people think it's bad if people think it gets bad and it will start this cycle of like oh my gosh it's bad so i have to like so why is it bad in a normal person because my okay for example i have five dollars with one hundred dollars with me okay this year if there is inflation if there's high inflation that hundred dollars would cost me less it would value less next year or in the future basically so instead of one hundred dollars that i could spend for my um my goods i realistically have like maybe fifty dollars next year to spend rather than that with that same hundred dollars from last year so with that like as a person like oh my gosh this inflation and my hundred dollars won't cost as much next year so i should buy right now everything i should take off like like those kinds of things like it's like oh my money is worth now the next year so i'm just gonna take everything i'm gonna spend everything right now and that would actually cost more inflation and just in because people would just be buying like look at the housing market right now it's like it's so high right now because everybody's buying and selling right it's the same thing it's like this cycle and that's what we don't want we don't want that panic in people so right now there's not much panic it seems people yes people have been talking about it because it it, it increased but right now there's not much of a concern and it seems like it is like stable so far, like stabilized so far, yes, it's high, but it's not where people are panicking. If that makes sense. That's good. Yeah, that, that's like, better than what I thought. Yeah. I, I just thought like, oh, no, you know, I mean, my, my you know, none, you talked a lot about all this. I mean, you're really an expert in this. But like in my simple minded thinking, I was like, 
oh, uh, we're like, the government's spending so much money to like what you said, right? So these people won't starve, but it's gonna be super negative. You know, I mean, it's like they're sacrificing the economy, so people will eat. That's kind of what I thought at first, but but yeah. it seems like there's a lot yeah. more other factors involved, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah. there's a, this economic theory, the Phillips curve, saying that um, there's like this like balance of unemployment rate and inflation. So you can have high inflation but low unemployment rate, or high unemployment rate and um, low inflation. Low inflation, yeah. And you want to seek balance of that. And that's like the thing. And like, that's like what the Federal Reserve are thinking. Okay, we have to have like, you know, stable inflation, but also low unemployment. Like, that's like their main goal is to have, have like the Goldilocks of that mm-hmm. balance. Because, yeah. Oh, like the soup, the Goldilocks, right? It's not too hot. Yeah. Difficult. Not too cool. Well, yeah. let me ask you this, uh, Isabel. Just wondering. So I mentioned it earlier, right? So th- I know, like the global, it was it used to be the gold standard, right, back in the day before we were born. Mm-hmm. But now the, it's mm-hmm. like even in the Philippines, right? They're using like U.S. Like the global market is using U.S. Mm-hmm. dollar. Mm-hmm. So what advantages does the United States have with that? Like, I mean, of course we 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 print the U.S. dollar, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean like? Because it's the U.S. dollar, we just we just dictate the world economy. I mean, yeah, can you? Because I don't. I always wondered that since I was a kid. I'm like, well, the U.S. dollar is, you know, like you know, I mean, in the Philippines they say like, oh, like the OFW are the new heroes, right? Because they keep sending dollars. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, awesome. And then, so does that mean the U.S. is just in a, you know, they have, it's like they have a cheat code because they can just keep printing them. You don't need OFWs to send them. You know, I mean, they can just keep printing. Yeah. Them. Like, um, what is what is the nuisance behind all of that? So, in terms of the power of the U.S. dollar, yes, it used to be in terms of the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And, but during the 1970s, and this is like, um, I think Nixon or something, like, stopped it, like, completely took out U.S. dollars from... Uh, like completely cut the ties between U.S. dollars and gold because during that time an increase of global trade increased the demand of U.S. dollars, but the supply of gold reserves that we have does not match the demand of U.S. dollars. So that's when they realize, okay, let's just say, let's just completely base it on the U.S. dollars. Um, when people say, oh, base it just on the U.S. dollars, it means you base it on the trust that you have on the central banks to keep that money, that value um, safe and stable. Um, so in terms of that, yes, United States is powerful in the terms that they control the U.S. dollars. In global trade, it is important to have U.S. dollars. And that's this is actually segueing to the El Salvador and Bitcoin and like, you know, is that people trust United States dollar more than their own currency because it is stable. Um, if you see that, like, if there's a recession or if anything happens in United States, anything bad, 
they would still invest on the US dollar. They would like, so this is where I'm like, I'm not really an expert on foreign exchange in terms of currencies, but like, for example, if you're in the UK, you would rather like investors, if, if something bad happens in the UK, they would seek refuge or they would seek monetary refuge and buy more USD than, I don't know what they have in the UK. Uh, the pounds. The pounds. pounds. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. Pounds. pounds. Yeah. Because, you know, if something bad happens in the UK, then it would affect the value of the pounds a bit. But, like, but they know that US, US is stable. The currency of the US is stable. If something bad happens in the United States, the United States is still the most stable currency out there. So in terms of um, global trade and everything, yes, the United States is powerful and has the upper hand for having the United States dollar. But do you think with the rise of China right now, do you think that that might switch soon? Or is no, that not, not really? at all. Because the yuan, is it yuan, Chinese yuan? Yeah, yuan, yeah, Chinese yuan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody like there's a, so the Chinese yuan is heavily regulated by the Chinese government. If they want, if they just like you know like just feel like it, <laughs> they can just change the value of the yuan, and they've done that multiple times. They've done mm-hmm. it so that um because they're an exporting country, right? Mm-hmm. So if they increase um like they could devalue their currency. And they devalue their currency to make their goods cheaper, so cheaper, that they could yeah. export it to and make it more. They so they can make their um, products more competitive in the you know mm. um, around the world. So, so and goods. One of the main re- um, purposes of um. I guess that's a, one of the major contribute, contributing factors of the Chinese yuan. But if you look at the USD, you can't they, like it's since United States has a more diversified and also they're more mostly an importing country, and also they they also have a lot of countries relying on them in terms of having a stable currency. That you, you can't just see the Federal Reserve be like. Okay, we're just gonna make more money because we want to be competitive in the outside, you know, outside world. Like they're not gonna do that. Their main purpose is to have this trust in this United States currency. That's their main purpose in the USD. So I I don't see people be um, focusing on the Chinese yuan anytime soon. I think it's still gonna be the USD. So one thing I yes that that's really good to know. Uh, I mean it, it's like China. I mean I've been hearing about the developing currency, but it, I guess it makes a lot of sense when you explained it. Like I mean they just don't they just play different rules, right? Different set of rules. Mm-hmm. They're they're not following like I guess the natural <laughs> natural law of economics as we say. So they're mm-hmm. overregulating it. Uh, but so what is the big? Let's talk about you know a little more less doom and gloom, right? Let's talk about the happy stuff, which is the U.S. national debt, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so that's, hold on, Russell, before, oh, before Ricardo wants to say something. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we understand that China is unlikely to uh, overtake the U.S. as the 
global standard. Um, certainly not anytime soon, if ever. Is there a country that you think has that potential? No. If any? I mean, no, not it, not in terms of being the like the global standard in terms of currency, but China right, yeah, is yeah. The, the contender. That's that's the next um mm-hmm. super global superpower that we have to look at look after. But as of right now, like in terms of history, like United States got into this role of like oh we have to like we're like. like like the superpower and we have to like help other nutrients or something like that um but i think i don't think china got into the role of like the reason why they got really big in terms of like economics and like power in terms of i don't think their incentives or motivations are becoming that big is the same as united states i feel like for united states it's like it was I'm not actually sure, but I feel like they have different incentives and in terms of like actually this one is like I'm not really sure. This is like just like completely my opinion. Um after World War Two or World War One, United States is becoming like less isolated as a country and more like okay, we have to be a global superpower. But in terms of China China has this vast resource in terms of labor. They they have a lot of people, a billion people, and they were able to efficiently use that billion of people and that they were able to become a, a global superpower because of that. Um but they don't I don't think they care as much as the United States. Or the way that they care is that they want to rule over and they just obtain more resources, which is I mean, yeah, I, I think that's coming to play now and that would like I mean it is threatening the United States as a superpower and since they are communist um country then it is definitely a concern. Um I mean I feel like people like say it's like oh this is really bad but honestly like people shift powers like there's always a shift of power every time. Like I'm just interested to see how that shift of power would come into play. Of course, there will be like winners and losers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Going on that, um, I do wonder because yeah, you speak on that shift of power, and I, I was one of my questions, and we don't have to answer it now because um, we're 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 kind of hitting the uh, tail end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but that shift in power, and I was one of my questions was, how does that even start to happen? Do we watch as the U.S. falls? Um, and what does that even look like? I guess that'd be the only way uh, that sort of shift of power would happen. But, Sancho, you were saying something about what were you going to ask about? Yeah, yeah. I just want to discuss this real quick with Isabel, the national debt, right? I mean, I'm an accountant. So, you know, you know, uh, debts is basically notes payable, liabilities. And then mm-hmm. but on the, when I was in the Philippines, and you probably hear this a lot when we were there, too, like, may utang ang, may utang ang Pilipinas sa America. Right, mm-hmm. so it's like basically Tagalog, Tagalog translating that for you, Ricardo, and their listeners. Basically, in the Philippines, they keep saying that the Philippines owe so much money to the U.S. that we need to pay our debt to the U.S. And when I actually like did a little research, I found that you know, in terms of little accounting receivables, right, how much they owe you versus how much you owe, 
the U basically yes we owe a lot of money to china a lot of money to japan right but the whole world owes money to us mm -hmm. <laughs> like i don't know if you can speak up because you know that's like a, a big doom and gloom they always talk about it in politics right we have a big national debt but mm -hmm. based on the accounting that i see we're still a surplus because we they owe mm -hmm. You know, like the Philippines owe money to the Philippines, you know, to the U.S. Like China, basically whole of Europe, like mm -hmm. U.K. owes so much money to the U.S. And I think that all boils back to the Marshall Plan, right? When we rebuild them after World War II and they're like, well, mm -hmm. it's not free. You owe us money for building, yeah, exactly. for building your cities. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. what do you think about that? Is that, is that like, is that accurate? Do you think it's that's, uh, so we, is that like, we don't have to worry about the debt because we actually have a lot of receivables, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, like people over. I I feel like they overact on the on having like the national debt. Like yes, it's huge money. But the thing is, like, look at the GDP, the national GDP, of the United States. Um, you know, it's increasing. It's it's doing well. And also, like what you said, a lot of other countries owes us money as well. So like I don't think that people should be be too worried about the national debt. And also when I remember when I told you about like the Federal Reserve like just buying so much bonds during the Great Recession. I think over like I think they only I think they have two trillion dollars in their budget sheet. Um so we have money to pay off the debt. But the thing is, you don't have to pay that off, pay that, those money off. Because if you think about it, those loans, those debts to other countries and how other countries owe us, that's also giving us leverage in terms of um, working with them, working, yeah. So I don't think it's a big deal at all. So you're not going to see Chinese people barge into a house and take our property to pay their debt. They're not going to. Yeah. No, they're already doing that without, get, you know, talking about the national debt. <laughs> but yeah, so national debt, no, not something that is not to worry about. So if all. it's not, we have to worry about what, what do we have to worry about economically as a whole? Economically as a whole, I think okay. it's. For me, economy as a whole, in terms of, of being more environmentally sustainable, more equitable in our people. So I just, you know, there's like, I think, I don't know, like this like ridiculous statistic where like 1% of yeah. people holds like majority of the wealth. Those are things that we have to like, it's something that we should worry about. Environment inequality. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. I mean, yeah, there's money, but they're all like in a few people. Which yes. Yeah. So I want to uh, as we as we start to wrap up the show, I want to talk about uh, El Salvador. Uh, I am <laughs> this is definitely what I want to talk about all night. Um, <laughs> so to set the yeah. stage, to set the stage for uh, our listeners, um, recently, very recently, in fact. I know two things about this whole thing, uh, just so you understand how little I actually know. Um, recently, El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as its legal tender. The first country to ever do that. And uh, 
this is this is you know this is completely unprecedented. We I have no idea what's going to happen, um, and so I definitely think it's going to be interesting. One thing I also know is that I think the very same day that they adopted uh, Bitcoin as its legal tender, all cryptocurrencies fell in value sharply too. Um, I don't I can't I don't know what the cause of it was. I I, uh, I don't know if it was uh, news in the cryptocurrency world. I don't know what it was, but for whatever reason, the prices uh, drastically fell. So El Salvador managed to take advantage of that. And they bought a ton of uh, Bitcoin to store uh, in their inventory. So they caught a quick dub on that. But uh, Isabel, I wanted to know what you knew about that. And what do you what if you can estimate any any possibilities of uh, how this could work, either positively or negatively? I want you I want to see if you can speak on that. Yeah, so like, I, want, I want to add, like, sorry, before I answer, I want to add to yeah. that question, too. Yeah. What the heck is Bitcoin? What the heck is cryptocurrency? <laughs> you don't know what cryptocurrency is? Well, let's, let's hear it from an expert. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I think Ricardo is more of an expert. I was going to say, uh, I'm not, I am not a high-level expert on cryptocurrency Yeah, but I all. think we should define that for listeners. Um, so crypto... All right. Uh, <laughs> cryptocurrency as a, as its definition. Um, so cryptocurrency is, in effect, a digital currency. Um, mm-hmm. We speak about Bitcoin because it's the largest. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in the cryptocurrency world, Bitcoin is just one token of, of all the many that are out there. Ethereum being the, I think, second largest. Um that's the basics of cryptocurrency. Like I said, digital. So it's all, it'll be all stored electronically. Your money, mm-hmm. uh, the value of it, all of it stored electronically. You can house it in what's called stole, uh, sorry, cold wa- uh, wallets, which means it's essentially like a USB with a password on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is big, one Bitcoin is like, it's worth, I don't know what it is recently, but it's, I think as of last I saw, it was about 45,000 in value. So it's worth 45 uh, U.S. 45,000 U.S. dollars is the price of one Bitcoin. And through a series of exchanges and means, you can actually take that Bitcoin, convert it to USD and uh, buy stuff with it. Or you can use cryptocurrency uh, directly to pay for stuff. One of the things about cryptocurrency that people speak on is it's a uh, it's a criminal's uh, dream. Because the trans- yeah, because these transactions are anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, your wallet doesn't say like my wallet wouldn't say this is Ricardo Chavez is with his social security numbers wallet. It's a number. Mm-hmm. It's a series of letters and numbers, and so for the most part, it can be uh, it can be pretty safe. And that is ultimately the point of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin yeah. is to decentralize um, currency in general. That way, all that way, your governments aren't tracking your your uh your purchases that's my understanding of like what it all came about and so bitcoin yeah. the question is uh it is like i said it's the largest of any of these uh cryptocurrencies it is so far the uh global standard in uh currency everyone knows what bitcoin is or everyone's heard of bitcoin even though they don't know what it is um but yeah that's because it's the largest so the reason why El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as uh, 
Okay. As it's uh, national currency, it's one, it's because it's the first, but part of uh, Bitcoin is as a currency is extremely volatile. I think, like I said, you know, I, I think it was the same day. It was worth like 50,000. It immediately fell to 45,000. Now you have this issue where let's go, let's say you go Monday, I got to go pay this bill and I'm going to use 45 Bitcoin to pay for it. Monday comes around and now Bitcoin is worth half of what it's worth. Now you can't afford your bills. There's, there's an issue there. It's so volatile. And like, it's, it's why, uh, what Isabel was saying earlier about U.S.'s uh, currency being so stable is the reason why it's the global standard. Bitcoin can never be the global standard because it isn't stable, um, at least in its current form. Uh, so that's like a it's kind of like a long winded explanation of all that. Does that make sense? Or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And I agree. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, I know you looked into it as well. So I'm curious as to what you found. I'm I'm. I'm I am nervous for because and the reason I'm emotionally invested is because uh, my father's from El Salvador. So I'm nervous yeah. as to what's going to happen. I don't imagine that this is the smartest idea. Uh, I think it's brave of them to be pioneers in this, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> so I'm curious as to, you know, what do you what, what can you imagine could come out of this, um, if anything? So when so when you asked me this question, I was very intrigued by it mm-hmm. because you know, uh, I've learned a lot about Latin American development and how they have histories of um, the histories of countries like having unstable, like they have like inflation issues, they have currency shocks and just like government just not being able to control them. And so I was like, maybe maybe Bitcoin can be a solution to this. Um, well, of course, like I'm also a skeptic of a Bitcoin and adopting mm-hmm. Bitcoin. But so this is what I learned. So I, I dug a little bit about El Salvador and like its history, mm-hmm. economic history. So, so they changed their currency to the US dollar in 2001. And there's like, a lot of reasons why they decided to do that. And it's just because and one of the reasons is like the previous currency they had, I think is Colon, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they were um there was like a like inflation issues like increasing values of uh, that like the country cannot really like control it so there's like you've seen this to a lot of other countries too where they just ditched their currency and just adopted the US dollar but another reason why El Salvador did this is because a majority of amount of their gdp comes from remittances so it will be easier for people to give money or send money to mm-hmm. El Salvador if you have the same currency. So mm-hmm. there's not much of like currency exchange rate differences and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, like when I looked at like why El Salvador adopted Bitcoin, um, the reason why is because of remit and it could be an, an alternative to sending money um it could be cheaper this is what what i not familiar of is that like how is it cheaper than like sending money to el salvador because you know it's volatile bitcoin is volatile but apparently like it is possible to like if you do it like 
like I don't know how people do it, but like the mm. people even outside countries too. Like I know in Asian countries they use Stellar XML. Uh, it's another cryptocurrency to send money. Um, so I think I think it was like the idea was makes sense for mm. them to do it. Um, because it is an alternative to sending money, but I don't really know. I don't, I don't know how how you can like consider the fact that you know like the, the Bitcoin is volatile, and also like I mean this happens to it, like every time like when you introduce a new technology is that you know like there will always be like errors and problems when mm-hmm. you start something new, and that's what they see in the the Chivo app to get that Bitcoin, you know, they promise $30 in credit and, you know, like they can just like access it easily, but there's a lot of people having those problems, those tech problems, which is again, natural, but how can the the government can, um, you know, maneuver that? Like, are they, do they have enough like support and IT support to be able to handle that much volume if it's supposed to be like the population were to, to use the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I think. I think it's, it is definitely a method for people to send money from outside, which is, I think it's a creative method. Mm-hmm. Um, considering like apparently 33% of the population like, of El Salvador, uh, El Salvador lives in the United States. And wow. one-fifth of the GDP oh. are repentances as of 2019. One-fifth of the GDP. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like... Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Why they that does make sense. <laughs> that makes more sense, yeah. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's all about, like, the... How they would... Um, how would they implement it? Would they survive those like technical problems, which are natural to like just implementing new technology? Mm-hmm. That's, so that's what I think. Um, do I support? Do, like I'm very skeptic of a cryptocurrency, but actually now that I research about this mm-hmm. and learn that a lot of people are using cryptocurrency to send money, to just like um, to bypass the exchange rates. And like the the time to like send money, like those fees and those transportation costs, and just use cryptocurrency. I'm like, okay, okay, I see, I see how this cryptocurrency can work. And not gonna lie, I might actually invest on some of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's where I found out about it because I was I was I was looking to invest as well. But that's interesting. I didn't. Okay, so I didn't I didn't at all guess it was because. Uh, a huge part of the economy was based in uh, <laughs> and people sending money in. Okay, that's a uh, that's interesting. Maybe do it you could also think? be like you know. Hmm. Huh? Uh, well, I was gonna say. So, do you think? So, let's say cryptocurrency falls to zero. Are they? How much trouble are they in when they also have the U.S. backed currency? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Right now, they're just still transitioning to Bitcoin. So there's not a lot of population relying on Bitcoin. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that people won't completely switch to Bitcoin. I think they're going to use it as an alternative, but not really. Well, probably not I think as it's a just like propaganda. Yeah. yeah, it's a, I feel like it's going to be propaganda. 
now it would be a stupid decision for the uh, for the El Salvadorian government to just buy majority of their funds, uh, you know, use the majority of their um, budget to buy Bitcoin. I don't think yeah. that's a, a great idea. Yeah, that's um, funny. That's funny. But uh, assuming that they're not stupid, which they're not, hopefully, um, I think it shouldn't be much of an effect, but rather like a, a hype, like, oh, I'm a cool new president who's a millennial and mm-hmm. technology is awesome, you know, like, I think that's, that's more to that. And I think the, um, I think they're starting to create regulations on Bitcoin and like cryptocurrency in general. I think that's why there's like a decrease. Yeah. But I, oh. I think that's, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, what is it? Uh, one of the biggest exchanges, I think is what it's, what it is. One of the biggest online platforms, it's called Coinbase. They're actually mm-hmm. being sued by the SEC or something like that. So oh, like, yeah. yeah. So like, they're definitely looking to. Uh, they're definitely looking to clamp down on uh, on cryptocurrencies in a very real way. Um, but yeah, no, I, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I I mean, I'm just at this stage. I'm just hoping that they don't get screwed completely. Um, yeah. I'm honestly hoping that this goes down as one of the most brilliant things El Salvador could have done for its uh, economy. Yo, can I just say something like Not- very cynical and like? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Like, we'll we'll wrap if- up the podcast with a cynical note. Okay, so what if you said that like cryptocurrency is like the criminal's like ideal like currency, right? Yeah. What absolutely. if there's like a black market? incentives and all of this is under the table like maybe the oh president is part of this like thing i don't know maybe maybe not i don't i don't want to just like you know El salvador is like the new <laughs> criminal's haven that yeah. could be a thing <laughs> that could be a thing <laughs> okay i mean i had a great time guys i think this is a good conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah i learned a lot i mm, learned i, I learned, a good amount. learned a lot yeah, yeah thanks thanks isabel uh yeah so that was Thank i think i guess of anything else you want to say to wrap it up no man i just want to thank isabel for her time uh once again it was uh i'll reiterate it was a great conversation thank you thank you for inviting me and being part of this podcast i also learned a lot and i had a great time awesome awesome all right so yeah i know we're a little over time but it's only a little it works out only a little but uh, yeah so i'll just end it up so thank you everyone thank you for our listeners if you have any questions if you want to be our next guest uh, feel free to email us at public discourse podcast at gmail.com or just reach out to any of us to me and ricardo uh, and yeah i'll just say like have a wonderful evening morning and afternoon wherever you are and hope you have a good night thank you bye bye